Please turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs 1 is where we'll begin this morning. Last year at the Henry Vilas Zoo in Madison, Wisconsin, there's a young woman, Amanda Hall, she's age 24. She decided to climb over the fence into the giraffe enclosure to pet the giraffes because uh, she likes giraffes. So she climbed over the first fence and then she was climbing up the second fence. She got to the top of the second fence and Wally, a two-year-old giraffe that weighs over a ton, came up to the fence and licked her and then kicked her off of the fence. And according to zoo officials, she was fortunate to have lived through the process. They don't put lions in with the giraffes because the giraffes kill the lions. They kick them to death. So Amanda Hall was fined the appropriate amount for harassing a zoo animal, $668. Uh, What's interesting is uh, she's an intelligent young woman, a fairly well-educated young woman, but we could argue she's not actually very wise. It's not very wise to climb over the enclosure into the giraffe area. There's a reason that it's double-fenced. Intelligent, educated but not necessarily wise. Is there a particular time and a particular place and a particular person for whom it might be appropriate to get next to a giraffe? Well, certainly, yeah, but wisdom is knowing if you're that person and if this is the time, right? That's wisdom. Wisdom applies to whether or not you pet a giraffe. Wisdom applies to a lot of other areas of life. In fact, one of the reasons I love the book of Proverbs is you can open the book and just dive in anywhere and start reading the book of Proverbs and you will find something that applies to your life and your situation today. So, this summer we're going to study wisdom. Especially God's wisdom is found in the book of Proverbs. I want us to dive in, beginning in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings, of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as we begin, let's look at a little bit of background. Uh, Who is the author, or better, the authors of Proverbs? There are actually multiple authors of the book of Proverbs. We think first of Solomon, because uh, Solomon's the most prominent. It's the most well-known. He wrote more Proverbs than anyone else, although he's not the only author. But he's the one who apparently wrote many of them, and he compiled this book. And so he's mentioned in the title, or he mentions himself. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, third king of Israel. First there was Saul, then there was David, David's son Solomon. He reigned from 970 to 931 BC, so for about 40 years. And during his reign, it was a time of incredible peace and prosperity. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Kings with me. 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 14 to look at a description of Solomon's reign. 1 Kings 10 verse 14. It says, Now the weight of gold, which came into Solomon in one year, was 666 talents of gold. That translates to 25 tons of gold. Wow. Every year. Besides that, from the traders and the wares of the merchants and all the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country, 
King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold using 600 shekels of gold on each large shield. He made 300 shields of beaten gold using three minas of gold on each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with refined gold. There were six steps to the throne and a round top to the throne at its rear, and arms on each side of the seat and two lions standing beside the sides of the arm. Twelve lions were standing there on six steps on the one side and on the other. Nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. Verse 26. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. And he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. And he made cedars as plentiful as the sycamore trees that are in the lowland. Solomon's days were days of peace with the surrounding nations. They were days of incredible prosperity financially. They were days of wisdom. Solomon was known throughout his days and throughout his region as the wisest man on the face of the earth. Wisdom and wealth characterized Solomon's reign. Now, how did this come to be? I want you to turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. In verse 5. 1 Kings 3 and verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish for me to give to you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is in this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David, yet I am but a little child, and I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. Who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all of your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered burnt offerings, and made peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. God appeared to Solomon, and said, what do you want? Solomon said, I want wisdom. And so God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you wealth and I'm going to give you safety and peace from your enemies. 
prosperity in all of your days, and you will be known as a wise man, wiser than any on the face of the entire earth. Turn to chapter 4 and verse 29. It says, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Verse 34. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon's wisdom was famous. And so rulers from all over the the ancient Near East came to ask him questions, to inquire of his wisdom. Queen of Sheba, which is probably in modern-day Yemen, came and she said, I've I've heard great tales, but I want to see for myself. She spent time with him. And she probed the depth of his wisdom and understanding and she walked away and said, the wisdom that God has given you is even greater than the tales that I've heard. Solomon, wisest man in his day, some would argue one of the wisest men who's ever lived in all of human history. But he didn't end well. But he didn't live wisely through the end of his days. In fact, he made a lot of poor choices that resulted in really bad consequences, not just for him and his family, but for all of his people. There's a warning that was given in Deuteronomy chapter 17 to the kings of Israel. Before there was a first king in place, God told the nation of Israel this. He said, moreover he, that is your king, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. And why is that? Why did God give this warning for the kings of Israel? What's the big deal with horses, we might say? Horses represented trust in military strength. Horses and chariots illustrated a trust not in God to protect their nation, but in their own strength. Foreign wives demonstrated a trust in foreign alliances rather than in the power of God to protect them. Multiplying gold and silver represented a trust in their own wealth and strength to protect them rather than in God. And so what did Solomon do? This man who started out seeking God for wisdom, being declared one of the wisest men on the face of the earth, what did he do? He did exactly what God told him not to do. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. So many women, it's hard to pronounce where they all came from. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives and princesses. You can say it. Wow. (laughs) Could he even remember all of their names? 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, 
on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and from Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Solomon's life juxtaposes great wisdom and incredible foolishness. Solomon did not, throughout the end of his days, practice what he preached. He wrote the book of Proverbs, it says, for his son. And we might say, well, which son? If you had 700 wives and 300 concubines, I'm guessing you had more than one. Probably for Rehoboam, he was the son that was chosen to reign on his throne after him. How did Rehoboam turn out? A wise, discerning son after his father's own heart? Hmm. You recall that after Solomon died, the people came to Rehoboam and they said, your, your father Solomon made the burden on us so heavy. We were taxed. And we were forced into labor to build all of these palaces and these cities and these fortifications, barns to hold all of his grain and branches for all of his chariots and horses. Please ease up on the burden. And the wise counselors around Rehoboam said, that's good. That's a good word. You need to ease up a bit. Your father has pushed the people for so long, so hard. You need to, to listen to the voice of the people. That's wisdom. And Rehoboam said, no, you know, let me check with my, with my buddies. Let me check with my younger friends. And his younger friend said, you want to show him what a great ruler you are? Make it worse. Tell him, you thought my father was tough. I'm even tougher. I'll crush you. So Rehoboam took that advice rather than the wisdom of his older counselors. And the result was the northern tribes broke away from the southern tribes. And Rehoboam was left with half a kingdom. Kingdom that remained divided and will not be reunited, in fact, until God's son, reigning in wisdom, comes and reunites them again. Psalm did not practice what he preached. In fact, probably the best way we could characterize his life is do as I say, not as I do. All right. But fortunately, we can still learn from Solomon because all wisdom is God's wisdom, right? All truth is God's truth. God is the source of all wisdom. I want you to turn to the book of Job, Job chapter 28. Now, we know that Job didn't get everything right, but Job did understand when he was confronted with the very glory of God that God himself was the only source of all wisdom. Job chapter 28 and verse 12. Job says, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal, crystal are not to be mentioned. The acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. In other words, you cannot purchase it for yourself. You cannot find it on your own. So where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding, Job asks. Thus it is hidden, hidden from the eyes of all living. And concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we've heard a report of it. But God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. 
And to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that is understanding. In other words, Job says, all wisdom resides from God. And all wisdom is hidden from man unless God pulls back the veil and reveals it to man. Or as it says in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth and by understanding he established the heavens. Solomon pictures wisdom as this master craftsman working alongside of God in creation and weaving wisdom into the very fabric of the universe. So if you want to understand how life works in this universe God created, you must turn to God. You must seek God. You cannot find wisdom anywhere else than from God. And that wisdom we are told in the prophets in the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, is embodied in God's Son, Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Son of God. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Paul picks up the same idea in Colossians 2 verse 3. He says, In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In bodily form, we see the fullness of deity And the wisdom of God's spirit residing in Jesus. If you want to begin with wisdom, you look at Jesus. And perhaps this morning you are saying to yourself, you know, I would like wisdom. I'm faced with many issues in my life and I would like to know what's best. What's the best course of action? First place for you to turn is to Jesus. And maybe you've never turned to Jesus before, but this morning what you need to do is say, God, thank you. Thank you that in your wisdom... You gave Jesus. In your wisdom, you gave one who could take away the debt of my sins and reconcile me into a relationship with you so that I could know what's best. Maybe this morning is your moment to humbly go before God and say, God, thank you. Thank you for revealing what was hidden through the wisdom of Jesus. That's the beginning point. When you believe in Jesus, God's spirit comes and he dwells inside of you. And God's spirit is a spirit of wisdom. And he can make known God's wisdom to you and God's truth. Proverbs is one of the places that reveals that to us. So we open the book of Proverbs and what do we find? Turn with me chapter 1 again in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. Son of David, king of Israel. So what is a proverb? Proverb comes from Hebrew word mashal. It means to be like. Yeah, a proverb is a, it's a comparison, it's a metaphor. Sometimes actually in the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word parable translates this word mashal. It's, it's, a, it's a figure of speech that reveals a truth, a truth that applies to everyday common life. Usually put in a pretty pithy, short kind of statement. That's what we think of when we think of Proverbs. One illustration here, Proverbs 10 verse 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. It's just an observation it's just an observation. It's reflect, it reflects the Hebrew parallelism, form of poetry. You have a contrast, antithetical parallelism. The poor man and the rich man. There's an embedded exhortation in this as well. You want to be poor? Stay negligent. You want to be rich? Get diligent. Short, pithy, direct truth. Truth that applies to everyday life. And when I was growing up, There were two uh, kind of icons of wisdom in my day. Both of them were were short, small creatures. 
who spoke in very short, pithy statements of truth. One of those was Mr. Miyagi. Ambition without knowledge is like a boat on dry land. Grasshopper. Of course, uh, Yoda. Name must your fear be before banish it, you can. Do or do not, there's no try. Right? Short, pithy statement. Yoda's grammar wasn't great, but you got the point, right? Small people who speak in short sentences and are old reveal wisdom, right? Well, no, actually, the point is this, the reason I brought this up. The statements of these characters, fictional characters, are actually modeled after Proverbs. And Proverbs exist not just in Jewish culture, but throughout the ancient Near East. Even in our day, in our culture. A short statement embodying a wonderful nugget of truth. In the book of Proverbs, though, you'll also find lengthy discourses. Wisdom is pictured as this beautiful woman, an attractive woman, and she says, come to me. Look, you want to find the way of life? Just come to me. With me is life. Follow me. Live with me. By way of contrast, there's another woman who is also perversely attractive. It's the adulterous woman, and she says, no, come with me. Come with me. Stolen water is sweet. We'll have a great time together. And wisdom says, now she's calling out to the naive and she's calling out to fools because her way is the way of death and my way is the way of life. Life and death are put before you. The life well lived and the life poorly lived. That's wisdom. That's what Proverbs is all about. So short statements sometimes, discourses at other times, a general truth that is a principle and not a promise. Okay, it's a principle, not a promise. In other words, it's not a promise that this thing is always going to work this way. It's saying, here's, here's the fabric of the universe. This is how God has woven the universe together. And if you live consistently with this pattern, in the long run, this is how life generally works out. Always? No, not always. But generally speaking, this is the way. And in the long run, if you fight against this, you will experience consequences. Let me illustrate. Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Solomon speaking to his son. Can he guarantee that if his son walks wisely, he will live a very long life? No, it's not a promise. It's a principle. Generally speaking, if you live wisely, you're going to live longer than the person who lives foolishly. That's how life works. Later in chapter 3, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new, new wine. So if you honor God first with your wealth, you will be rich? Uh, not necessarily. It doesn't always work that way. I've known folks who have honored God with their wealth and made wonderfully wise decisions as far as they knew and have ended up bankrupt. Because it's a broken, fallen world. But generally speaking, if you use your money wisely, your wealth will grow and you will have an abundance for yourself and for others. Okay? So, general principles, truths, not promises. So you open the book of Proverbs and you begin to read and you say to yourself, what was Solomon drinking as he wrote this? Because we just moved from speech to money, 
to the adulterous woman. To, I mean, it's just, it just seems so random. How do you structure and think about this book? We're just going topic to topic and then returning to another topic and back and forth. My opinion is that Solomon wrote it like this because that's how life is. Or you wake up on any given morning and you don't know what's going to hit you. And once that thing hits you and you move through it, then something else. And this is how life is. And so that, in a sense, really is the beauty of Proverbs. Open it up, begin to read. You're going to find something that works for this day. You're going to find something that works for each and every day. So what is the big point? What's the idea? What's the purpose of the book of Proverbs? Read with me again, chapter 1, verse 2. Solomon writes, To know wisdom. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddle. Actually, there are are five purpose clauses here that are all summed up in the general idea, Solomon wants to impart wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is skillful living. Wisdom is living consistently with the way that God has created the universe as a reflection of his personality and and character. Wisdom is skillful living. Have you ever known a really wise person that person who seems to know just the, the right thing to say at the right point in time or when not to speak, the right thing to do or not do at any point in time. That's a wise person, a discerning person, a skillful person at life. Now, obviously, you can see the need. Our lives are made up of decisions and choices. That's what our life is. Every choice we make sets a course and a direction for our lives. And we make choices every day about everything, matters that are large and small. And these decisions and choices are our lives. Choices about career, choices about spouse, where to live, who to marry, who to befriend, how to raise our children, how to speak, what to do with our money. All of these choices, large and small, basically determine and consist of our life. This is who we are. So wisdom applies to absolutely every area of life. And the promise is this, generally, you live well and wisely, life will work well. You choose foolishness and try to go against the grain of the universe, things won't turn out well. Proverbs chapter 8. This is Lady Wisdom speaking. She says, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. On the other hand, he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. This is the way of life. Walk in it. This is the way of death. (laughs) Don't walk in that. That's the choice that every person makes on a daily basis with all of the choices that we have to make. So let's unpack wisdom a little bit more. What does skillful living consist of? There are four elements. First, wisdom includes knowledge. Wisdom includes knowledge. Proverbs 1 verse 5 says, a wise man will hear and will actually increase in learning. The word for knowledge that's used earlier in the passage means uh, experiential knowledge. It is observing the patterns in life, 
collecting data from that and making decisions accordingly. Okay? Wisdom includes knowledge. Knowledge is not an end in and of itself, but knowledge is a means for wisdom. Right? I think that's a good warning for us living in an academic community. As I will tell you, I've known lots of very knowledgeable, educated, intelligent people who make foolish choices. I remember going through A&M and interacting with my professors, some of whom had lots of paper on their walls, degrees everywhere, awards everywhere, exceptionally intelligent, and their lives were an utter disaster. Because knowledge is a means, it's not an end. But it is a means. And we shouldn't be afraid of knowledge, but we shouldn't trust in knowledge alone. Great illustration of this, I believe, is Hudson Taylor, an exceptionally intelligent young man. He discerned that God's calling on his life was to take the gospel to China, not just to the coastland, but all the way into the interior where no one else was sharing the gospel. A lot of other careers he could have pursued, very, very bright individual, but this is where he felt like God was calling him. So he decided that he would get educated in medicine because he needed a skill, a craft that would be useful to the people in China. And so he learned medicine and he learned surgery and he began to study the Chinese language, the grammar and morphology and syntax and vocabulary and the script. He learned, he packed his mind with the history and the culture of China. Then when he moved to China, he began to learn how to blend into this culture and translate the gospel into this culture. And then as his Mission agency grew from himself into a family, into a whole group of people. He had to learn principles of human resource management. And he had to learn fundraising. And he had to learn diplomacy. And he had to learn counseling. He had to learn all kinds of organizational skills. He was constantly learning. And he was taking all of the learning that God gave him and he was submitting it humbly before the wisdom of God. And so, wisdom includes Knowledge. It includes learning. Second, wisdom includes character. Chapter 1, verse 3. To receive instruction in wise behavior, that is, righteousness, justice, and equity. Righteousness is the right standard of God. In living life according to the character and personality and works of God. Justice making determinations, discriminating and choosing according to this right standard of God. Equity, applying God's standard in his character of righteousness equally to all people. That is moral character. In other words, students, some of you may have stuck around for a couple days after graduation. Maybe you're still looking for a job. Maybe you have some coursework that actually needs to get finished up before you can graduate. Well, you will graduate someday, I promise. It'll happen if you're diligent Proverbs promises. No, it doesn't promise. It actually is just a principle. But if you stay at it, you will. You'll finish and you'll get this piece of paper. You will graduate. But you know what? You will need a lot more than education. And you need to understand that education, for it to be valuable, must be submitted to the morality or the character of God. There are a lot of very, very intelligent and educated people who are very immoral in their lives. And their lives are a disaster as a result. So wisdom is both knowledge and and character. Third, wisdom is discernment. Wisdom is discernment. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. 
Probably the best known illustration from Solomon's life, and I'm sure there are a lot more illustrations, this is the one that's recorded, is when uh, two, two women showed up before Solomon, remember they were both prostitutes, and there was just one child between them, and they were both claiming that this was their child. First woman showed up, and he, she said, I had, a, I had a baby. And then about three days later, the woman who shares the house with me, she had a baby. And we were sleeping one night, and she rolled over on top of her baby and smothered her baby and killed it. In the middle of the night, she took her dead baby and put her dead son in place of my live son. And I woke up in the morning and saw that my son was dead and realized, no, this is not my son. She's stolen my baby. And all of a sudden, this ancient Near Eastern Jerry Springer episode breaks out in front of Solomon's throne. You go, no, that's my baby. It's my baby. Give me my baby. And it's not your baby. And Solomon says, hold on, hold on a second. One woman says it's her baby. The other woman says it's her baby. Who's to know? Bring me a sword. We'll just cut the child in half, and then you can each have part of the baby. Second woman says, that's a great idea. If I can't have my baby, then she can't have my baby. Cut it in half. The real mother responds like a real mother and says, you know, even if I can't raise my own child, I want my child to live. Give her my son. Solomon's discerning. Discerning. The word actually for discernment in Hebrew comes from a preposition that means between. It's the space between. Because rarely in life are we given just one option, are we? We're often given multiple options and we have to find that space between. That is, what's the best? Not just between good and evil, but often between good and best. It's the space between, that is, discernment. As Solomon prayed, 1 Kings chapter 3, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, and I would say between best and good. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? That is discernment. Or as my friend Dick Davison used to tell me, he said, Brian, wisdom is understanding the relative importance of things. You may have lots of things in your life that are important, but they all can't be most important. And they all can't be most important in this particular moment. And wisdom is understanding the relative importance of things. Or as Paul told the Philippian believers, this is how I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent He says, I'm praying that you would have real knowledge and you would have all discernment. Why? So that you could test and prove, literally, the things that differ. And you could find that space in between and say, no, this is the thing that's most valuable and this is the thing that is less valuable. I choose the best. So this is wisdom. Choosing the best. Let me give you a couple illustrations. Life, again, doesn't always present itself to us simply, does it? It's not always obvious which choice we should make at any particular time. So, for example, we're told hoarding is bad, hoarding is evil, greed is evil, right? But you also should save. So how do you know when you've saved enough and when you've stepped over the line of saving so that you can provide for your family and have something to give generously to others, you've stepped over that line from saving into hoarding and greed? How do you know? Well, it's wisdom. And your line may not look exactly the same as someone else's line. That's wisdom. Or we're told in Proverbs chapter, uh, chapter 5, I believe, that a word spoken in right circumstances, is, it's a gift. 
to others. It's like apples of gold and settings of silver. On the other hand, if you greet your friend really loudly early in the morning, he's going to say, that just feels like a curse. In other words, it is possible in certain situations, in certain moments, to be too cheerful. Right? And I, I see husbands and wives kind of looking at each other, you know, because one of you gets up, yay, great, we're having a day. And the other goes, where's my coffee, right? So it's wisdom, wisdom. Or best illustration from Proverbs, I think, is this. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or else you will be like him. You see a fool, step back, right? Always? No, not always. Verse five, the next verse. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he may not be wise in his own eyes. You see a fool, do you step back or do you dive in? Wisdom. It's one of the reasons why wise friends and abundance of counselors is so valuable. We can't always see on our own. Someone else objectively looks in and says, I think that you're in verse four, not in verse five. Maybe you should step back. Wisdom, discernment, knowledge, character, discernment, and skill. In fact, the word for wisdom is literally a word for skill. Skillful living. When I think of Proverbs, in fact, I cannot help but think of another icon of of my youth growing up. Uh, I feel sorry for some of you who didn't get to enjoy MacGyver, but he is now on Netflix. So you can go back and you see all the episodes of MacGyver who would, on a weekly basis, I would watch MacGyver save the world with a paper clip and a little bit of twine and some duct tape, right? Every week. Or maybe he just had a toothpick that week. Or, you know, I mean, it's just always, he just, he figured out a way to get it done. He had skill. He took what was available and applied it in the right way to the right situation. You may not know this, but we actually have a couple of MacGyvers on our staff. So last week we had a, a pastor's retreat and uh, I got there a little bit late. And as I came in, Zach Nigliazzo and Chris Thompson were building camp stoves out of Coke cans and rubbing alcohol. And they had guys gathered around. They go, look, all you got to do is you just take some scissors or a knife and you cut the Coke can in half. And then you take the top and you just crimp a little bit here like this. And you pour the rubbing alcohol on and you put the other piece down in here and it makes these vents and it comes out and you can cook salmon or steak or anything. You can go kill something and eat it and right there. I mean, it's like MacGyver, man, who do I want on my team? I want Chris Thompson and Zach Nigliazzo. Those are our MacGyvers. It's skill. It's skill. In fact, in Exodus, Bezalel, who was the one who was in charge of making all of those utensils, remember we've looked at this before, he was filled with the Spirit of God. First person who we're told was filled with the Spirit of God, we're told it was the Spirit of wisdom in craftsmanship. Wisdom is skill. Wisdom is pictured sometimes as political skill, that is, knowing how to work with people. That's Buck Anderson. I want Zach to make my camp stove, and I want Buck to tell me how to talk to somebody. Wisdom is taking truth, the resources available, applying it to the situation in the right way at the right time, or stepping back from the situation and doing nothing. That's wisdom. Knowledge, character, discernment, skill. So what do we do with this? How should we respond? Well, Proverbs is essentially a charge to pursue wisdom. All these observations about all kinds of different areas of life ultimately boil down to a choice. 
I would state it like this. Who are you now and who do you want to become? Who are you right now and who do you want to become? And are you able and are you willing in this moment to be really brutally honest with yourself? Say, this is who I am and this is who I want to become. There are four people that are mentioned in the book of Proverbs, four types There is the naive or the young person who is in a sense pictured as a kind of a blank slate, hasn't chosen a pathway for life yet, and wisdom is calling out to this person, follow me, walk down this pathway, this is the path of life. Then there's the wise person who's already on the path of life, but since that person is wise, they understand they can always learn more, they can always get more of God's wisdom, they can always make better choices, and so they're always learning and growing. Third person is the fool. Fool is always right in his own eyes. The fool's never wrong. The fool never has to listen to anyone else. The fool is marching quickly and boldly down the path of death. And most frequently, the fool is used as an illustration for the naive and the wise. Don't go that way. And then there's the mocker, who is a kind of a subcategory of the fool, who's sitting at the back of class with his arms folded, laughing at all of the wise people. <laughs> And making fun of good choices. Oh, you're so naive, you don't understand the blessings of evil? So, who are you? And which pathway will you choose? Maybe you are already on a pathway, and this morning God is calling out to you, as wisdom calls out in chapter 8, saying, "Mm, let's get off of that path. Have the courage to step off of that path. And to follow me into life. How do we do that? Read with me again chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does it mean to fear God? Does it mean to run away? To be frightened? No, that's not what fear means. Fear means to show God appropriate respect. In fact, there's an interesting verse in the book of Exodus where the, the fire and glory of God has come down on Mount Sinai and it's shaking and Moses comes down and he speaks to the people and he says, God has revealed himself to you so that you would fear him. So, don't be afraid, but worship. Okay, same word. So God's come so that you would fear, but don't be afraid. In other words, don't run away from God, but approach God with reverence and awe because he is the only source of wisdom so draw near in humility because of Jesus with boldness and discover what is hidden to the world but is available through God's word in Jesus Christ that is the way of life the way of life I remember as a child literally as a child I remember picking up the book of Proverbs and starting to read that and saying to myself God I want to be wise God I want to be wise and if, my own, if I pick my own path, it's going to be a pathway of death. God, let me always be, be humble and teachable before you and acknowledge there is no other source. God, let me be wise. And honestly, this has been the prayer as I've been thinking through the spring about us getting into this new study on Proverbs, my prayer for our congregation, that we would be humble people before God, not proud, thinking we've figured it out, not fools walking down the wrong path, but humbly coming before God and saying, God, you know what's best and we do not direct us. We submit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us wise. 
I pray that you would protect us from foolishness. I pray that you would cause us to see that your pathway is the pathway of life and anything else is a pathway of death. Father, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness to love our family, our friends, our neighbors so much that we show them the pathway of life to walk with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hopefully we will see you this afternoon out at the picnic. The rain holds off.